Megatron and the Decepticons are at it again as we get into the Ultimate Doom Part 1. This is Energon Entries. Welcome back to Energon Entries, everybody. As always, this is your host, Matt Freights, and I hope that this finds you well. Thank you for sticking with us last time. Hope you enjoyed last episode. So let's get into The Ultimate Doom Part 1. This is Episode 11 of Season 1 of Generation 1, and Megatron and the Decepticons attack a solar power plant to start the episode. And this is used as a diversion to get the Autobots away from headquarters. Meanwhile, Rumble and Ravage invade Autobot headquarters while Laserbeak helps to kidnap Sparkplug. Sparkplug is fitted with a hypnotic chip that makes him a Decepticon slave. With a new space bridge complete, Megatron hopes to create an army of slaves to help bring Energon cubes to Cybertron. Some of the Autobots rescue Sparkplug and bring him back to Autobot headquarters. His weird behavior is noted by the Autobots and Spike especially. The Decepticons attack Autobot headquarters and Spike realizes his dad is the one that sabotaged Teletran 1, making it impossible for the Autobots to know that the Decepticons are on their way. After a struggle between Spike and Sparkplug, the Decepticons retreat after fire-retardant foam jams their weapons. Megatron reveals his plan to bring Cybertron into Earth's orbit in order to create energy from natural disasters. When the Autobots find the space bridge and attempt to stop the Decepticons, Megatron uses the human slaves as human shields, which always works as the Autobots always have sympathy for humans. After a brief moment of coming back to life, Sparkplug is reconnected as a slave and helps Thundercracker activate the space bridge. In the end, Optimus Prime helps Megatron bring Cybertron to Earth in order to save it. The episode ends as a cliffhanger. So Megatron has found an evil scientist to work with the Decepticons, and that is Dr. Arkaville. Now, this is interesting because Dr. Arkaville kind of has like a metallic implant, but he and Megatron seem to be best buddies as they both want to take over Earth. But Megatron wants to take over Earth so he can sap it of all of its energy, and Dr. Arkaville is hoping to be left with Earth for him to rule after Megatron and the Decepticons go back to Cybertron. Once again, we see another Decepticon or Decepticons breaking into Autobot headquarters without a problem. The Decepticons, as I always say, they seem to be a step ahead and they're able to go in undetected, create this diversion and kidnap Sparkplug. It seems a little bit too easy, but this is something that seems to be easy to the Decepticons and I don't understand why. Teletran 1 was fine during this. I guess it is what it is. My question is, do the Witwickies always wear work clothes? Because we don't ever see Spike and Sparkplug in any other outfit. I have to assume this comes down to animation and cost and everything of the 80s, so it's just easier to continue to animate them the same exact way. But we never actually see Spike and Sparkplug at work, but we always see them in their work clothes, and for some reason, they always wear a hard hat. I guess if you're around these large metallic robots, something might happen. Just an interesting observation that I made because I feel like, huh, do they have anything else? Do they always wear this? And the use of the word slaves. It's funny because that word, and I used it a lot in the intro to this and the recap of the episode, it's used a lot in this episode. And I know in today's world, there are some words that feel a little bit taboo to use. 
And the word slave, I think, has that connotation. I don't know what word they would use today, but just the idea of humans being slaves, even if they are slaves to robots, I wonder if that would make people uncomfortable today. Not a political commentary, just something that I thought while I was watching the episode. Animation quirks are pretty prevalent in this series, but one thing that will happen from time to time is the voices will be different, and it always seems like it's the Seekers. It always seems like Skywarp has Thundercracker's voice, or Starscream has Skywarp's voice, or vice versa, some combination of this. Not only do they get the animations weird, where one robot is a different color, or you see an Autobot standing next to Megatron at the base, but here you get the voices, and it seems like it's happened a couple of times, just something that I noticed here. One thing that surprised me was not only did the Autobots successfully rescue Sparkplug, but they actually had a plan to bring him back. They go underwater to infiltrate the Decepticons base, which is underwater because obviously in the third episode, that ship crashed in the water. Of course, the Autobots and Optimus Prime thought that everything was good. The Decepticons are gone. Yay, the day is won. But that is their new base now. And so Brawn, Bumblebee, I feel like maybe Windcharger, I can't remember all of them. They go into the water and they tunnel under the base. They actually have a plan that plays to the strengths of all of the Autobots that are with them. And guess what? They're successful. This is not something that happens all that often with the Autobots. They always seem to be reacting to things the Decepticons are doing. Technically speaking, you could say this is a reaction. But instead of just going in and trying to take Sparkplug by force, they actually have a plan. Hey, let's dig under and let's go in and get him. And they catch the Decepticons by surprise, which is something they don't do all that often. It's funny in all of the things that happen, the Autobots all have different quirks. The Decepticons are a little bit different. I think they all kind of have the same temperament. They're all looking to take over the world and help Megatron, and they're all kind of prickly. But the Autobots have really, in my opinion, human personalities. Sunstreaker's always makes me laugh because he's a bright yellow car. He's a beautiful car. I think he's a Lamborghini. And he always talks about his paint job. They're in the middle of this battle. He's getting shot at. And he's like, watch the paint job. It always actually makes me laugh because I can actually see that in a regular human being. So if the Autobots are kind of like humans in a way, they have those personalities. And I think it's fun to actually see them in the Autobots. Just that Sunstreaker's actually makes me laugh. I talked about at the beginning of the episode that Decepticons always have an easy time getting into the base. And it's funny to hear Bumblebee make note of how Teletran is unable to detect the Decepticons. The humorous part about that is that that's happened before and nobody seems to be able to fix this problem. He just happens to mention it in this moment. And it made me laugh because I'm thinking, I noticed this episodes ago, but Bumblebee is like, hey, Teletran couldn't tell that the Decepticons are here. My goodness, we're under attack. And Sparkplug, of course, sabotaged Teletran, but yet it can't detect even when it's 100%. So even though Teletran was at a disadvantage here because Sparkplug did something to sabotage it, Bumblebee pointing it out just was funny in a larger sense because Teletran has had problems before, notably earlier in the episode. Dr. Arkaville is, of course, had by the Decepticons here, and it's because two evils really can't coexist. He wants to work with Megatron for nefarious means. Megatron wants to use him for nefarious means. They can't both win. And I don't understand how Dr. Archiville doesn't understand this part because Megatron is a powerful being who wants to suck energy. What does Dr. Archiville think is going to happen? So he's already seeing the writing on the wall, but this is really, again, because you can't have two evils coexisting in the same place looking for the same thing. It just doesn't work. To me, this episode is clearly where Dark of the Moon and the Bayverse was taken from, the pylons that helped create the space bridge to transport Cybertron to Earth. A lot of this happened in the Bayverse. A lot of people didn't like the Bayverse, but I think you can see that they did take some of the story arcs in those movies from the Generation 1 comic 
And I have to say, I have to give them credit for that because they didn't just make it up on the fly. Obviously, they took liberties. They took liberties with a lot of things. But when you can see that correlation in this episode, I thought that was actually pretty neat. And it does help me appreciate a little bit more the work that was put into the Bayverse movies, even if they are not my favorite. The Autobots' love for humans is their biggest weakness. I don't think they have any other big weakness outside of not being able to fly. But whenever Megatron is in trouble, he uses humans as a human shield or as leverage, and it always works because the Autobots, at their core, are good autonomous robots. They want the best for humans as much as they want the best for themselves. And the Decepticons should exploit this as often as possible. I think that they do, but going forward, if I'm Megatron, Every single plan that I have is going to involve humans in some form or fashion because I want Optimus Prime to be unable to save himself because the humans are involved. And of course, this is a typical 80s cartoon cliffhanger where they kind of give you a little bit of a recap of what happened and say, will the Autobots be able to save the day? Actually, that might not be the worst narrator voice that I've ever heard. It kind of sounds like the narrator who seems to be showing up more and more often because whenever you get these cliffhangers and you get these three-parters, the narrator has a job again. I found this first episode of a three-part cliffhanger to be better than the pilot. Now, to be fair to the pilot, back then, you wrote a pilot in hopes it would get picked up. And now this is the show writing for a show that's already been picked up. So obviously they have a little bit more energy, a little bit more juice. They have a little bit more behind the show. They're getting some more characters involved, all that stuff. The preview didn't give away the plot of part two, which is something that I complained about in the pilot is they basically gave away what was going to happen in the second episode, which I want to watch the second episode. Now I did for purposes of this podcast, but you get the idea. Overall, I think it's fine. I think obviously being able to correlate what happened in that episode to what happened later when we came out with the Bayverse movies, that was pretty neat. There's not a lot of animation quirks, but some voice weirdness is cool. And then, of course, seeing the Autobots have a plan, but being able to laugh at certain things like Teletrend 1 not working, even when it's 100%. All in all, though, pretty solid episode. Looking forward to the next episode, and I hope that you are too. If you want to support this show, Just continue to share it, continue to listen to it, hit subscribe, whatever is applicable for wherever it is that you are listening. Hope this finds you well and safe. And I'll talk to you next time. This is Energon Entries. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Energon entries are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Energon entries is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.